reading today comes from Psalm chapter 21. This is a sequel to Psalm chapter 20. If you remember last week, we looked at Psalm 20. And Psalm 20 was all about the king. We envisioned that the king and his troops were there at God's meeting place at the tabernacle with David. And the troops were crying out for their king, asking God to give him victory. And they believed so strongly that it was almost like they expected or they anticipated that God was going to answer their prayer, that it had already been accomplished what they were asking. Now, Psalm 21 is a response. There's a lot of debate about is Psalm 21 after the battle and the king's been victorious, or is this the king's response to this entreaty by his troops? So I don't really have an opinion about that, but we do know that these two are connected. And the reason we know they're connected is some of the wording. Uh, the idea of the king uh, runs through both of these passages. We do know that in Jewish thought in the time of Jesus that this psalm was connected to the Messiah. Uh, some Jewish translations actually translated the word king in Hebrew to King Messiah in Psalm 21. Now, that's not in the Hebrew, but they just added the word Messiah because they saw that this was really not a psalm that fit with David, but it fit more with the Messiah. And we as Christians would see that this psalm does fit the ministry of Jesus Christ. And as we read through it, you'll see how Christ fulfills this psalm. With all that said, and, and realizing this is a sequel to Psalm 20, let's read Psalm 21 together. This is the English Standard Version. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exults. You have given him the desires of his heart. You have not withheld the request of his lips, Selah. For you meet with him, or you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you, you gave it to him. Link the days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. And through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will not will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as blazing a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to fight or to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. So we can just imagine this would be a song sung in response the king rejoices in the Lord, and the desires of his heart have been granted. Now, we know uh, back from Psalm chapter 19 that these desires of the heart of the king would be pure desires. These are desires that are in line with God's will. This is not the king saying, Lord, give me a new mansion or a new palace, and God gives him a new palace. This is something different. The king here is desiring what God desires. And when our desires match up with what God wants for our life, we live a very fulfilling, fulfilling and complete life. So as we start to break down this psalm into its parts, you'll notice it has some symmetry to it. It really breaks down into two basic parts. So let's look at these two major sections. The first six verses consist of thanksgiving for victory. So it's either it's either been accomplished, God accomplished this military victory, or David is looking forward and saying, Lord, I, I know you're good on your promises so much, we're going to just act as if, this has already been accomplished. 
So the king in this first part is giving thanksgiving for victory. Then the second part, verses 7 through 13, he displays a confidence that God will grant success, grant success by judging the enemies, by putting the enemies to flight. Now, what is strange to our 21st century years is this idea of excitement over God's judgment. And I've said this to you before, but we need to be reminded that we are spoiled living in America in so many ways. If you talk to people from other parts of the world that have gone through genocide or civil war or other types of atrocities in their country, they have no problem with divine judgment. It just tends to be suburban Americans that have trouble with the the doctrine of God's judgment. In other places in the world, people invite the judgment of God. Such would be the case with people like David. So as we look at this first section, in verse 1, the king rejoices in the strength and the salvation of God. In verse 2, his requests and desires have been granted, so he's had success. In verse 3, God goes before him in order to bless him. So he gets a blessing and a crown. Y'all might have heard that song sung before in in churches, a blessing and a crown. It's right here in verse 3. Uh, the king asked for life, and he was given eternal life. So that's why some people would think this applies to Jesus. You know, it goes back also to, uh, in Psalm 2, his body did not see decay. He was not abandoned to the grave, and that would more than likely apply to Jesus. And that was interpreted in Pentecost, the sermon by the apostle Peter. So some of these psalms do not fit David, like Psalm 22, Psalm 2. This psalm in particular, they fit the Messiah. They fit Jesus. So David, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is writing this. And really the true fulfillment is going to be later in Christ. In verse 5, we have glory, honor, and majesty. And in verse 6, God has blessed him forever. And the king is exceedingly glad. There's joy. And I'm going to come back to that idea of joy. I want to talk more about that in just a minute. In the second section... Uh, the psalmist turns to the future. In verse 7, the king trusts in the God. He's not going to be moved from that. He's immovable in this trust for God. In verse 8, God's hand will find out both the king's enemies and God's enemies will be dealt with in verse 8. In verse 9, there's going to be consuming fire that will come out against God's enemies. In verse 10, God will remove the legacy of those enemies from the earth. And then in verse 10, or verse 11, Uh, God's going to judge the evil intent and the unsuccessful evil intent is going to be dealt with. So that's something to think about, that God even looks at the intent of people's hearts. We have a hard time judging people from the outside. It's it's difficult to know the intentions of people. We have a lot of that going on today where people want to judge other people's intentions like they know what they were thinking when they did certain things. Human beings don't have that capability, but God does. God can, can judge the intent and purposes of someone's heart. Then in verse 12, uh, it said that God sets up the wicked. Uh, he strings up his bow and his arrow, so to speak, his divine bow in judgment against uh, the enemies. And so as we think about the doctrine of, of judgment, there's this singing of praise because of God's judgment. Like I said, that tends to bother us some, but it doesn't bother David one bit. And here's something I want us to think about today. We need to remember the joy of of the Christ. Remember the joy of Jesus. Now, so many times we think of the earthly ministry of Jesus being this time of sorrow. And he was a man of agony and sorrows. That's true. But Jesus was also a man of joy. 
In Hebrews 12, it says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. Christ is risen and he ascended to heaven with great joy. And I would even say with great song. At his right hand, as Psalm 16 tells us, there are pleasures forevermore. So there's this fullness of joy at the right hand. Uh, the faithful servant is invited to enter the Lord's joy. Go back and look at that in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. To enter the Lord's joy. Uh, there's joy in the presence of, of the angels over the repentance of one sinner. Luke 15, heaven is a place of joy. We shouldn't forget this. It's filled and overflowing with the joy of the Lord. And we need to think about, it. is that a place we're prepared to go? I mean, if we're like old Eeyore, the donkey, and we always have the, the long face, are we preparing for the joy of the Lord? Because the Psalms are packed full of this stuff. The joy of the Lord is, is a joyful place like heaven, a place we're going to feel comfortable. Are we just pessimistic and angry and upset all the time? The Lord is filled with joy. I love Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Here are these passages we don't read very much because they're in, let's just be honest, obscure places in our Bible. But Zephaniah 3, 17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. The Lord sings over us. Now, I want you to think for just a minute as we're, we're getting toward the end of the podcast. I want you to think about what Jesus does in heaven. You know, Jesus sang while he was on earth. The Bible tells us that. He sang at the Passover. I would propose that Jesus sings even now in his resurrected state. The resurrected Lord Christ who is in heaven sings toward the Father. He sings praise to the Father. Yes, we believe in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in some sense, the Son is singing praises to the Father. Let me explain what I'm talking about. You look at places like Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 10 through 12. Listen to what, what the, the writer of Hebrews says. For it was fitting that he, from whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified, all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Now listen to this saying. This is Jesus talking. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. So some would look at this and see this heavenly congregation, so to speak, of those angels and, and spiritual beings and God's divine counsel, but also those who have been, some sense, Jesus is singing in their midst to the Father. This comes out in Romans 15. You might want to read this, verses 5 through 9. This, once again, the Lord is singing. So I would propose to you, in heaven, Christ sings. And maybe Psalm 21 is one of those songs that Jesus would sing. He's in victory. He's been resurrected, but the enemies of God will be judged. So this would be a song that Jesus would sing. And I could just, maybe you can envisage, envisage that uh, in heaven. So when we think about Jesus's role, he mediates our relationship with God, this God to man relationship. But he also mediates our worship to God, man to God, that in Christ we worship the Father. I've, I've just come to understand this doctrine recently in my own research. It's been around for 2,000 years. I didn't really know about it. But this idea that Jesus leads us in worship, that in Christ, if Christ is worshiping, we are worshiping in him. And we're offering our praise through the power of the Spirit in Jesus Christ to the Father. And that is 
if you read the book of Revelation, especially chapters 4 and 5, you'll pick up on this, this way how worship works. And I'm going to restate that again. We worship in the power of the Spirit through Christ to the Father. And you can kind of mull that over if you want to today and let that run around in your head for a while. But today I just wanted to, to present this to you, the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. And it comes out in worship. We are worshipful people. Will you feel comfortable in heaven, a place packed full of joy? And think of Jesus being the one that sings, too. That's kind of a cool concept to think about. Look at Psalm 21 and imagine Jesus singing Psalm 21. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your week, and I hope to see you back tomorrow. Mm-hmm.